Hey everyone, I'm Charlie Shrem, and this episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming, Permission.io, and Bitrex Global. You'll hear more about them later in this amazing episode. Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you are listening to Untold Stories, where I wish it was more often, but twice a week I get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement really came to be and where we're going. I get to talk to some of the coolest people. Uh, and now I'm really, really excited to introduce you to Fan Long of the CoinFlux Network. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, wow. Nice to meet you all to the audience of this channel. <laughs> yeah, of course. This uh, Well, the show's produced by BlockWorks Group, a uh, media and production company that I trust and they're amazing. They have 20, 20 production, 20 other podcasts in their in their production uh, by all my friends of mine. So it's great that we can all like work together and like uh, uh, do some some fun things together. But forget that. More importantly, um, this is really cool because, you know, we're talking about uh, a 10,000 square foot facility, potentially a, a research institute uh, that is supported by the Shanghai municipal government um, and the, the, the Hunan government. And, you know, you had city officials to grant opening. I mean, you, you could say that uh, the Chinese government is definitely uh, working with you guys. Um, can you really tell, like, start from the beginning. I want to talk about CoinFlux. I want to talk about how it all came to be. But really, tell me about you and how the transition went from uh, what you were doing before to, to getting into crypto. Well, yeah, so... Uh, well, let maybe first starting from myself, right? So I'm a, I'm a computer scientist and uh, my research has been about programming languages, system securities, uh, software engineering. So those also kind of areas that are really close to blockchain itself, right? So, I mean, blockchain 10 years ago is not even a research topic. Right. So no. before Bitcoin, people don't know what is blockchain. When, so. when do you think like when do you think uh, blockchain or Bitcoin or crypto or when do you what year do you think that it, that uh, people could re like do research or like use it as a as a PhD like dissertation or something like that? Like if I tried to write my my PhD uh, uh, argument uh, a thesis on like in 2011 on Bitcoin, people were like, "What is this? This 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 you can't do yeah. that." Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a PhD topic in 2011. Okay, unless you're Satoshi Nakamoto, Good you point. just presented yeah. that, you, you present that white paper as your PhD work, that works, right? But uh, I mean, if you just uh, do some add-on work on blockchain, it's, no longer, uh, it's not, not a PhD topic at that time. I think uh, uh, people start to realize that this is a really big thing, especially in academia, starting around 2016 or 2017. Interesting. So it's a, it's a, it's roughly like uh, the time of uh, after the first peak of uh, Bitcoin, like after Silk Road, the first peak of Bitcoin. More and more people start to investigate the problems going, what's going on in blockchain area. I mean, before that time, people think just think this is just a one system, Bitcoin. Yeah. And, uh, this system is too small for a. Uh, PhD to graduate, right? Or that's like a song. But now I think it's in this uh, topic is enough to graduate 100 or 1,000 PhD. That's an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting 
uh, uh, phrase, uh, uh, words that you use calling it like a one system, potentially people looking at Bitcoin from that like maximalist approach back then. And then now it's like a larger kind of thing. I think I've heard that like, uh, Mm -hmm. one party, two systems or something like that. That's what I was thinking about when you said that, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of comparing and contrasting because, Mm -hmm. um, the difference, the way, uh, in America that you're, and, and you know this, in America, you're raised with this idea that there's only like one way or the highway, right? It's like a famous mm-hmm. song, but it's different in, in, in Chinese academia. It's not so, correct? It's like more of, uh, you can have multiple ideas and multiple systems that kind of work together, but it doesn't make sense to me. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think computer scientists, so you always view blockchain as distributed system. It's just a very complicated distributed all co- distributed system that operates in a potentially very malicious environment, right? You could have attackers driven by profit to try to do 51% attack or all sorts of attack trying to gain profit in that system. So it's a uh, it's a distributed system because um, uh, operators of that system distribute across the globe. And uh, uh, that's a very uh, like a classic. I would say it's a very classic. It's a, it's not classic. It's like a very uh, standard distributed system problem. I mean, to solve, it's just a very it's a very challenging one because uh, the scale that blockchain system trying to do right. It's an internet scale and the honest people. There could be like a thousand honest nodes. So that's always like computer scientist view of. Uh, blockchain, what blockchain system is. And the back that time when 2011, I mean, or 2012, people studied blockchain or Bitcoin as one example of digital system. I actually learned Bitcoin uh, when I was doing my PhD in MIT and uh, uh, in the distributed computing course, a distributed system course. It's his one case that we studied. So that's a, a lot. I think a lot. What of are the, you? What else are you learning in distributed systems courses? Like what? What? What are examples of distributed systems like pre-blockchain? Uh, well, basically any system that composes multiple computers working coordinatively together or cooperatively together, it can count it as a distributed system, right? Uh, databases that are deployed at a module, uh, modern machines, file system deployed at a modern machines, they cooperate together. That's all distributed system. Uh, the big difference between distributed system before and distributed system right now uh, of blockchain. Okay, wait, but before that, you get uh, mm-hmm. discuss the difference, pre Bitcoin blockchain. There's no pre-Bitcoin blockchain. There's only pre-Bitcoin. Okay, so pre you're right, pre-Bitcoin. Ha, ha, in your classes and in your teachings and in your studies and mm-hmm. uh, your research, had you had, had, the, the, had the question never come up, whereas uh, you have 10 computers and mm-hmm. how do you make sure that six of them in a distributed system are always staying honest and maintaining like that 51%? Without having a centralized kind of like uh, string well, that's puller. a that's a very classical. I mean, that's a very classical problem that I have been studied for twenty what years. What was the best solution Bitcoin. before Bitcoin? Well, before Bitcoin, the best solution 
option was the Byzantine fault tolerance. I think you okay. can still talk about that. Yeah, BFD, that's a very standard algorithm, which uh, could guarantee safety for two thirds of our participants are honest. Wow. Uh, Bitcoin just provides a very, I think, Bitcoin provides a very innovative new solution to this problem. And it's the first time that it brings such Byzantine system to internet scale, right? Can you in, go in into a little bit more about like what fault tolerance kind of looked like back then? Like how would you solve, how would you solve the Byzantine? What was the best answer to the Byzantine generals problem pre-Bitcoin? Hmm. Pre-Bitcoin, best answer is, uh, uh, I would call it, it's like PBFT algorithm that uh, uh, the way to do it is you get those computers together and vote, cast a vote. And every time, uh, if there's a two thirds of people voting on the same thing, this transaction or can think this block gets passed and everyone processes. Okay, so the idea of having like distributed voting was theorized and, and could do it, but how do you, but there was no way to attach a finite, scarce earth-based resource attaching that to the voting mechanism without having a centralized authority being the attacher. Does that kind of um, well, yeah, or like people don't sort about using proof of work or this kind of style to fix it. The, uh, the, real, draw, the real drawback of a PBFT solution is one is like it requires two thirds, right? Another yeah. one is uh, it's not permissionless in a sense that you have to know who will participate in the voting or participate in the transaction processing before the setup. So it's like, you know, this is 100 people from different locations, they will do that. And while well, Bitcoin is a completely permissionless, you don't need to ask anyone's permission to join their world. But if you set up, ah, so that's... you set up a membership before. Right. Oh, so so a key definition, and this is this is good for the listeners, I'm learning this too. A key definition of the word like permission and permissionless is not just once you're inside, but it's getting in. Meaning that yeah, permission that's blockchains. A, that's the key thing. Oh, yeah, permission wow. is, it's like You don't need to ask anyone's permission to join. That's the most important thing. You just, you have a computer, you can just join Bitcoin network. You can just join Ethereum network, right? You don't need to ask any authority. In BFT system, at least you need the consensus of the current member to join. And uh, oftentimes you would require pre-setup. It's like can't join. Yeah, uh, before it becomes a club and exclusivity. If if there if the people yeah, involved yeah. can decide who can yeah. join, they yeah. want to control That's that. That's actually why a lot of alliance chain, well, people call that alliance chain or private chain, use BFT algorithm still because they just don't value permissionless as a very important property, right? They, by definition, are permission network, not permissionless network. So theoretically speaking, you know, I'm surprised no one has created a blockchain, uh, a public blockchain to, to play this, this, this uh, social theory out. But essentially, you launch a blockchain where if you want to mine it or stake it, you need 51% permission from all the other people 
that are currently staking or mining it and like voting takes place every block. So you got to like, that would be kind of, I wonder how that would play out. Well, I mean, that would require mixed ideas from the, True. from the proof of work and the BFT. I mean, well, that's uh, how that will play out. I don't know. I mean, it's probably economics will deserve that That's what's out. fun. Yeah, that's the fun part yeah. of like this whole industry. So, uh, uh, so tell me about CoinFlux because obviously things, uh, you're not going to work on something if it's not exciting and interesting for you. Yeah, I mean... Well, uh, back to days, it was back to days. It was like just a computer scientist working on those areas very close to blockchain. I get attracted to blockchain around time in 2016 or 2017, roughly the same time where you know blockchain could become PhD thesis. But that that, that was not my PhD thesis. I just get interested as a, a researcher, and uh, I really start to do like uh, conflux. It starts from a research project, actually. Well, when I graduate from MIT, I take a gap year and back to Beijing and hang out with my friends in Beijing. And uh, well, Tsinghua University invited me to give a guest lecture at its crypto class. So uh, they know that I'm working on a little bit of research on blockchain. So they say, okay, maybe you can just uh, teach uh, blockchain for three, for three hours and then introduce the students to the new concept of uh, blockchain. It's related to crypto, right? So I did it. And it's in that class, I, I get connected with a lot of brilliant, several brilliant students in Tsinghua University. And uh, we start to say, okay, hey, we have a very nice idea about how to make blockchain systems scalable. That means processing more transactions per second, faster. And uh, then we started research uh, project at that time, and uh, that's end of 2017. And uh, then the research we made our research prototype, verify our ideas, very rough implementation. That actually, you know, via modifying Bitcoin client, then published the paper. And uh, um, that was the time. And by that time, it's actually April 2018 or. May 2018, and that was still the peak of last ICO cycle. And there are several of my investor friends saying, hey, you, should, you, you guys should not, you know, make this just a research paper. You guys should, you know, really come out and do this. And uh, that's, um, we get convinced, or at least we are also excited about the possibility. And uh, we felt like, okay, let's uh, do the real thing and make a bigger impact. So that's that's why we started Conflux. It's, and, uh, it's, uh, it's such an amazing thing. And it's so important because uh, like these conversations and then doing the research and then doing the uh, uh, computer, you know, the, the, the actual, not just, you know, when you have R&D, it's research and development, doing the development uh, to increase like transactions and throughput. Um, but I'm, I, I want to um, ask you, because you, you brought up a question that I, that I want to think about, you, bringing up... Um, we talk about uh, permission versus permissionless blockchains, and everyone and 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 I would argue that like proof of and and tell me if I'm wrong because this is why mm -hmm. I'm talking to you today. Um, mm -hmm. I like to be I need to be proven wrong. I would argue <clears throat> that that all proof of stake is mm -hmm. permissioned. That mm -hmm. all proof that 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 Bitcoin 
I'm going to make a bunch of statements and tell me how I'm wrong. Bitcoin is mm -hmm. the only Bitcoin and proof of work is the only true permissionless blockchain out there. And mining is is permissionless. Uh, proof of stake is requires permission in that the 51 percent of the people can always control the price and price mechanisms and markets are always going to be centralized as much as you decentralize them at that. But mining and proof of work uh, will always be a decentralized thing at the end of the day, as long as Earth remains the ability for people to 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 find natural resources without needing permission, then proof then then no one can ever prevent anyone from getting into to mining. Am I wrong? Um. Well. Well, the, I I I can provide. I think I can only provide good answers for those computer science the science questions. Do you have? I also asked several like economic questions. I can talk about it, but I mean. Well, I will probably know yeah, similar in a similar level than you do. Um, I think, well, in, in some sense, you were right. I mean, if you count like uh, to join proof of stake, what it cost or what it takes to join proof of stake network and what it costs to join a proof of work network. Uh, proof of stake network, uh, the problem of proof of stake network is that um, you have to make sure uh, that you are on the right tip, you're on the right history, right? So it's like you, when you run join a proof of work network, uh, you can as long as you get all, all the history blocks, you can verify by yourself, like I'm on the right history, okay? Because this history accumulated the the most. Uh, amount the significant the majority amount of uh, proof of work on this part of chain, right? That's really important uh, uh, character that makes proof of work fully permissionless. Proof of stake, you always run into this. Um, uh, people call it a long range attack or like uh, uh, weak subjectivity problem, where you join the network, you download all the block. You have to ask someone which chain is the right one to leave on. Oh, because you can no longer. Uh, well, you, you, well, that means you have to trust someone or someone. Sorry, you can choose whoever you trust, but uh, it's like you are leaving in a multiverse. So, so if I'm launching a universe, if I'm launching a proof of stake node, how do I uh -huh. attach myself to the correct network? My node has to. Well, yeah, you 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 will have several services you care that you want to be on the same universe as they do. You ask, for example, Binance. You ask so for theoretically, example, if someone did an uh, attack, the official foundation, yeah, and went after these oracles or these networks, these these auto connecting node type things, that can circumvent. Uh, you could base basically point it to your own minority yeah. chain. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, such attacks, such attacks already happened in some of the proof of stake uh, networks. Is that what happened with ETC? Uh, no, ETC is a proof, it's still proof of uh, work, and it's a fifty-one percent. I think in the past, the chain like IOTA. Yes, I remember when IOTA this happened. Uh, IOTA, uh, there are people getting affected by that, and there are also all the smaller proof of stake chains are having problem with that. I mean, proof of stakes, this is a known problem. You have to, you know, trust someone. I mean, trust someone being the right history because you cannot verify the history on your own. That's the biggest thing. I also want to add 
a major difference about the permission, about the proof of work and proof of stake. I would say any proof of stake chain, I mean, right now, any proof of stake, if a chain starts with a proof of stake, it's probably not even decentralized at all. And I've been talking about sportsbet.io and their clubhouse, which is a huge community. When you play, when you make a bet, when you do a spin, they pay you with free hands, cash back, and bets. You can play all sorts of games, and they've been doing this for so long in a free, fair, and transparent way on the blockchain. Well, that's not why I'm excited today and why I'm talking to you about this. Because now they're taking this community to the next level by sponsoring the Southampton Football Club. You're talking about millions of British football fans can now see the Bitcoin logo on the front and the sleeve of also the Walford Football Club. I mean, how amazing is that? You're talking about not sponsoring your company. You're talking about sponsoring Bitcoin and crypto. Millions of people around the world are now going to be seeing this and joining the Sportsbet.io clubhouse to earn more points, to play games, and to be part of that community. There's really no other way that you can use and spend your crypto and then actually earn more back and be part of this whole community. So listen, make sure you guys join sportsbet.io forward slash podcast. Give them the support that they deserve because they're supporting us and me. Go play some games, get some free hands, get some free spins, and make sure you check them out and support them on the Southampton Football Club's first game. Whenever that's going to be, check it out. It's a crazy world when I tell you that everything we say, do, hear, see, sleep, everything that we uh, interact with the world is being constantly listened to, packaged up, and sold to other people without our permission. But we already know that. Don't you're you're not in your head. We know that. Why are we okay with it? We shouldn't be. We're not getting paid for any of that. Well, my sponsor, Permission.io, actually a very cool company, and you could check them out at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. They figured out a way for you to get a piece of the action because advertisers are going to be targeting you no matter what. And now you can decide which advertisers are able to do so by granting them specific permission and then you get a piece of the action. So you're like basically earning rewards for doing what you already do online, consuming the content and sharing all your favorite information. Now, right at this minute, only these tech giants are profiting from your data. You have all these like uh, Cambridge Analytica and all these like... Uh, crazy files that are coming out with how our data is being used against us to spin elections and fake news and blah, blah, blah. With my sponsor, Permission.io, that is about to change. If anything, check it out. It's so cool what they're doing and how they're doing it. You can get a special sneak peek at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. And thank you guys. Thank you, Permission team, so much for sponsoring and allowing me to do what I love to do and to do this show. Hey, guys, I'm Charlie Shrem. And Bittrex Global is sponsoring this show. They are amazing. They are the true OGs of the crypto space. Bittrex Global has been around since 2014. I remember when I bought Bitcoin and tokens from them years ago. Listen, they pride themselves on being not only the most safest, secure exchanges around, they also pride themselves on being very heavily regulated to protect your crypto. Listen, from now until the end of the year, they're going to be having no trading fees and no gas fees for you. For my listeners, for all your DeFi tokens. Listen, they, I even got this awesome sweatshirt for Christmas and I live in Florida. So there's like no need to even have Christmas sweaters because it doesn't even snow here. Listen, for all my listeners, if you sign up for Bittrex Global and you trade at least $1,000 and you leave your tokens on the exchange through December, they're going to give you 50 bucks in USDT in January 
just when you sign up at this link that you'll see in the show notes. So if you sign up at this link that you see in the show notes, that's linked at the bottom right now, you get 50 bucks for free just for trading, just for doing whatever you're doing now. And there's no trading fees. So check them out. Bittrex Global. I'm Charlie Shrimp. So you've been listening to the show. You're ready to dabble in DeFi. You're ready to buy and sell some coins and tokens, but you go on some unknown exchange and you find out that you can't actually deposit or withdraw or trade any of these coins or tokens because you need gas. You need trading fees. You want to trade this coin or token. You need Ethereum gas. You want to trade this other one. You need NEO. You need Polkadot. You need IOTA or whatever you choose. You just need all this stuff. Well, my sponsor, Bittrex Global, has decided from now until the end of the year, they will not give you any trading fees or any gas fees for any of those DeFi coins or tokens. This is not some unknown exchange. This is Bittrex Global. They are a true OG. I've been trading with them since 2014. They are. They pride themselves on being the safest, most secure exchange. How do you get all these no no fees, no trading fees, and no exchange fees, and no, and no DeFi fees? You got to go on untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global. That's untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global. They are so cool. The company has been around for so long. They were the first company back then to have faces or names on their website. Uh, they were so transparent. They still are. It, it's very important to have a company in our space that's been around for as long as they are. So you feel safe and secure. But they're not being complacent. They're growing. Bittrex Global is offering no gas fees no trading fees only to untold stories listeners this is an edge for you you go to untoldstories.com forward slash bitrex global what's the what's the downside i mean you're just trading the same thing you're trading on other exchanges but you're getting no fees and you don't have to worry about gas it's like gonna save you thousands of dollars in the long run untoldstories.com forward slash bitrex global enjoy i think vitalik said something like that he said yeah, that I think- needs to start with proof of work in the beginning and then proof of stake is the is the longer term, like once you have fair. So so this leads into the next question. And I know you were going to answer this anyways, but I want to ask is that how how mm-hmm. important is fair distribution at the outset for the future of a blockchain? Because that's what you're really getting at. Right. If, if it's not from the beginning proof of stake, then it's not fair or permissioned or whatever. I mean, I think it's uh it's really important to get a fair or at least a reasonable distribution for the security perspective if you want to switch to proof of stake or you're using proof of stake, right? Well, if only a few guys control the whole stake, then basically they can uh, they can just dictate what the network is happening. It's uh, no longer blockchain. It's just a single server or several banks running the server. That's, and Something that's- like that. You and uh, there are also, I mean, economic uh, reasons for or like a, a social reason you want a fair distribution. I mean, blockchain system gets value when more people join, so that means you want to have an inclusive blockchain. Well, imagine you can build a blockchain where you own all the token or you own everything that blockchain, but that one will probably be worthless, right? When no one join and play with it, it's it worth zero. Yeah, it's not it's not worth anything. We're talking here now about like permission versus permissionless blockchains, proof of work versus proof of stake. Uh, you've you, and I'm curious actually what like goes on in research institutes because if this is what's happening, then I want to just quit my job and and come hang out and theorize and and develop and. <laughs> 
do research all day because it's like that's like my goal is to be able to get paid to to talk. Well, I kind of do that now. I get paid to talk here on the show. So it's kind of a lot of fun. All those teachers who told me to shut up when I was younger. Um, <laughs> remind me to ask you a question about uh, uh, schooling in China. I have questions about that just more for my curiosity's sake. Remind me to ask you that in a second. Um, but before before I do that, we talked about like permission versus permissionless chains. Um, and someone told me a scary thought the other day, said that like everything you own one day is going to be represented by like a token in your wallet. So shares of your home, you know, percentage uh, pieces of your business, uh, even social credits, debt, IOU can be tokenized. Everything will be tokenized. Now, these will be issued by private individuals, by companies and by governments even. What what are in your view, what are the role what is the role of governments in the future of like crypto? Will you see it like more of a hands-off approach that a lot of the governments are doing? But then you have countries like China that are saying like, that have been on the forefront of launching, like as much as China's banned Bitcoin or whatever, China has been at the forefront of a lot of Bitcoin and crypto's development over the years. Like just talking about central bank digital currencies and things like that, like what is the role? Is it, do you see going back to that like, uh, two systems approach. Do you see it being a friendly, like having a permissioned and permissionless world, or will all of crypto be this like issued by governments type of thing? Um. Well, this is a really good question. Um, that's why. That's I why was, I make the big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, first thing I want to clarify is, well, I think China is not. Uh, uh, I mean. There's always some myth like China is super like a uh, regulatory central government controls everything and it's banning every crypto. I mean, that can be true. When no, you this is the best explanation. Bank. Someone said to me, he said, China, every country has loopholes and has ways through the regulations. The difference is in other countries, you go to jail. In China, they regulate the loopholes and they add a tax. Uh, well, it's like it's a crude not, way it, of explaining it, but it's it kind not of, that. It's okay. Let me say it's crude. So, okay. It's okay. So every every place has loopholes in the law or something. The difference between China and other places, China, the government is sometimes leading the way of exploiting the loopholes to uh. develop the economy. <laughs> That's the main difference, right? That is actually called like uh, uh, I would say stepping the stones when you try to crossing a river. That's like. A, Deng Xiaoping's phrases when they try to open China up when, well, back that time, even in the constitution, you're saying that China is a communist or socialist country. Well, what <laughs> was the quote this, with the stones? I never heard it before. Uh, stepping the stones when you try to cross in a river. Like when you cross in a river, the river is, you're not sure whether the river is, you know, too deep. Mm. Uh, you just try to step in the stones uh, every step, right? Yeah, you're doing <laughs> one the step at a time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Touching the stones or stepping. That, that, that is Deng's phrase, and that tells the mentality of how Chinese government, government thinks, basically. They're open to try different things. I mean, especially... Especially about economic development. I mean, political things, that's a different, I'm not going to discuss that, but I mean, economic things, uh, they're very open about trying new things. That's why, actually, well, internet payment is first, I mean, widely adopted in China. And that's also the reason why you got a lot of uh, crypto activities in China. Because, I mean, they're, well, the attitude of government. Chinese government towards those new stuff, those things in the gray area, 
It's like as long as it does not hurt the overall like uh, financial stability or economic stability, they, they try to turn on like we we'll say uh, try to give a more leeway. Leeway. Yeah, you are allowed to uh, do more exploration, more experiments. Well, the downside of Chinese government, although China is uh, that sometimes they will make up regulations, new regulations uh, in the secret door or something. And then you, or you feel like this regulation comes of secret door. Yeah. And you don't have a, you know, you don't know it's coming and then it suddenly comes. I mean, that's the downside of China. But I mean, uh, well, for a long time, I mean, even right now, I think China has a very friendly regulation uh, territory for a lot of crypto, uh, for a lot of crypto blockchain uh, activities, I would say. I think uh, it's actually uh, between Hong Kong, China, Singapore, between those places and like kind of like all the islands and places around it, Vietnam too, um, that it has become the center of of the of the crypto world, um, especially now with India and Australia. But mostly- I think so. Another thing about China is that it's really important for uh, so. So it's really important to establish communication channels with uh, governments. They they want to know what's going on, and uh, the See, that's the, the main that difference it, between China and the U.S. Here, we it's not a, a thing here. It's like uh, establishing those channels when you start a company on day one is not something that you think about doing. I mean, well, you can you can just say, okay, I don't want. It. I don't want to bother talking to the government when I'm doing a blockchain project. I mean, if you, I mean, that, 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 that's most of the projects trying to do, actually. We take a different approach because we think it's important. And it's, it's, because, um, it's because you need to talk with regulators, uh, tell them what's going on, what's, because they want to learn and they want to make good policies in the end. Right now, they... You know, they have more of, uh, they give more freedoms or just say, okay, they, they watch what's going on, but they don't like act because they feel, okay, this area is still small yeah. and uh, it's not affecting the overall economic stability or something. But the one day, people know that this is growing very fast and uh, one day they need to ask them. So government wants to, it's really important to have a communication channel to tell them what's going on, what you want to do. And well, surprisingly, I mean, they they lessen and they want to learn more. Yeah, and that's our experience when we talk with them, and they will have a different perspective, right? I mean, um, my perspective is I just want to use this exciting blockchain uh, platform, and uh, uh, what uh, uh, and I just want to potentially use this technology change words their perspective is they want to know okay what's this will bring and what's the benefit to the economy or something this will bring and what's the potential risk of it and uh uh well also the more you talk to them the more they are comfortable that okay you guys are not trying to do a pump and a dump yeah <laughs> that's uh that's really important you know you talk about coin flux and you've you've you're also uh I'm founding member of the the Open DeFi project. Um, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And then you talk to to the government all the time. One of my questions, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. they want to know, is how will this technology like underpin some of the utilities or some of the services that the governments are doing already? Like, have you looked into that, how this technology will underpin eventually uh, existing technology that we use today? Yeah, I I definitely believe so. And I think the change is already happening. I mean, you, you uh, I think in China, a lot of uh, different levels of governments are trying to adopt the blockchain techniques uh, in their, you know, uh, in their, as their governing tools. Really? Well, yeah, yeah, it is. It is true. I mean, uh, it's, it's a pity that right now, most of them, are trying alliance chain solutions, but I think it's a really big step forward. Sure. Right? I mean, I mean, it's well, things can like happen just magically one day. And well, when we we are when we talk with them, we're telling them what's the difference. They they now even be more you know open to bring some of the applications on the public chain as well. And here's a great right? question, actually. Here's a great question. Do you? I've always wondered down the road, like in the past. And, that, you know, I look at crypto, I looked at Bitcoin, I'm like, there's no way governments will get behind this thing. Like, we have to be talk to them and communicate with them and make them feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, like, Bitcoin mm-hmm. at its outset was created to be a new financial system that couldn't be controlled by one person. And as you know, governments are wonderful uh, and they're bad, but in, they're wonderful in a way that they let us, like, kind of uh, innovate, hopefully, But at the same time, they always want to maintain like a little bit of control, that little bit of control. Is that, so my question to you is, is that little bit of control, that permissions part of it, as long as they can have the ability to let people in, then that's enough of control for governments to let, once you're in, to let us innovate and do whatever we want to do? I think you have to separate, you have to separate the blockchain from the Bitcoin. In this perspective, okay, it's hard because uh, we can, but the governments won't. Well, I mean, okay, I mean, well, at least the Chinese government can well be able to do that, or at least a lot of government can do. That. I mean, U.S. probably not, but I will say the uh, blockchain platforms. I mean, it's just a, a general platform where if you want to run smart contract, deploy stuff, or like uh, issuing tokens, or just a, I mean, it's a platform you can do that. You can even code more complicated things. Those those platforms, it's it's possible to regulate, and uh, uh, people are saying that it's impossible for government being, I mean, okay with it, and especially for like uh, Chinese government, they tend to want to censor a lot of things. But I mean, the reality is, uh, well, Chinese government have been fairly successful about controlling or at least uh, bring internet to a way that they like. Right. True. True. And, true. Uh, they can do similar things with blockchain. They just need to watch and monitor the interface between mm. the blockchain world and the real world. Right. That's a great. For example, analogy. Chinese is already trying to do uh, some kind of monitoring at uh, like uh, chain explorer or scan, and uh, you just uh, monitor those interfaces. The information interfaces and assets interfaces between the blockchain and the real world, you can control and uh, mitigate the risk that a blockchain platform presents. And that's a way 
that the Chinese government or a lot of government will try to do. What are so you? Uh, that's a that that's basically the uh, blockchain perspective. What are and you? The Bitcoin, or basically a uh, some sorts of a universal token that more people using it and start to, I mean, replace the currency. Uh, it it's a challenging for a lot of government, but I would say it's a bigger thing if it grows that's a bigger thing for us or us fed rather than all the governments because well us dollar is uh, the factor mm. i think uh uh the word currency right now and uh us enjoys more right so the us has more to I lose say, i mean they would worry more about this threat or this issue than all the governments how are uh, I'm just curious. Like, uh, one second, I think I cannot hear you. No, no, I was good. Okay, you didn't hear I... me because I would have interrupted you like six times. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so you're so you're saying is that like potential Bitcoin's dominance would lead to a a a a, a, a losing of dominance for the dollar, which potentially would be uh, a negative result. The only one who would lose out on that is the U.S. Um, on Bitcoin and on and on growth. So I guess uh, my question to you is like, what are you working on right now? Uh, what are you taking up most of your time on like this week, last week, next week? What is exciting you at this moment? And then after you answer that, how can uh, my listeners follow that and, and get involved and keep in touch? Well, I mean, I have been mostly busy with uh, follow-up work after the launch of Conflux. Oh, you guys had your mainnet launched after a few years. Congratulations. I forgot to tell you that. Yeah. So we just launched our mainnet. And, um, well, I I believe this is the first, I think, uh, uh, scalable network that uses proof of work. And uh, it's, uh, uh, well, there's still still a lot of work to do uh, after the launch. So... We are trying to make sure that the network at the early stage is uh, stable and secure and uh, it has enough of, uh, you know, hush power uh, to make it a secure one and also uh, reaches and about. Uh, well, so there are a lot of excitement in the community. So that's what I was busy about in the last two weeks. And uh, I probably, it will probably keep me busy for the next month. It's um, well, thank it's a you. lot of things to do. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time today and, and joining the show. And uh, and thank you for all the research and development that you're doing. And But more importantly, thank you for, for being a Bitcoiner, understanding the differences between like the different types of chains, and then being the person that's talking to the government about it. Because whoever's talking to the various governments of the world, we need to make sure that they know what they're talking about. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always my pleasure. I mean, it's... Uh... I mean, I, 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 I just felt like a blockchain is, a, is kind of a revolutionary technique that would, uh, that would change every aspect of our life in the next decade or something. And I just want, well, the reason why I'm engaged in conference is I felt like I want to be part of this change. I want to drive this change to some extent and I hope Confluence can be the vessel for it. And a lot of, I see a lot of potential of blockchain applied to all areas of uh, uh every uh, area of the world every area really, yeah the, the, the problem is well right now you just don't have uh, enough of capacity 
and, and or you have to sacrifice something you don't want to sacrifice her. Like, but uh, will, the, will the demand follow the capacity or will the capacity follow the demand? Well, I think right now we, we are having the cycle, right? So it's like uh, we already seeing uh, Ethereum reaches its, uh, I think, reaches its capacity. Modern times with the DeFi with crypto. Yeah, games, true story. Yeah. And Ethereum yeah. broke last week. There was an unannounced hard fork. So this is all such experimental still. I don't really know what's it is. going on. And uh, Conflux is experimental. Yeah. Everything is experimental. And that's a, that's excitement. Well, I would say that things will happen in cycle uh, when you first uh, have a great demand, it drives innovation and have a capacity and a higher capacity or drive more innovation. Just oh, imagine, yeah, that's, right? That's what happens. Just, ima just imagine 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you won't have apps like TikTok, right? While the, you, nobody would use, you know, pressures and cell phone mm -hmm. data to watch video. Like one video will count your month's data. Yeah, I right? remember. But when the capacity grows, when you have 5G, 4G, 5G, you okay, can do more. I can, I can I can watch TikTok, right? And this such app, such demand will only occur when you have enough capacity. And that's why I say it's actually grow in cycle and like uh, uh, it's like uh, it's interdependent with each other. Wow, this has been an amazing show. Thank you so much. Mind blowing. <laughs>